Good day, folks. Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Stories. Today we had Jason Meyer, the author of A Progressive's Case for Bitcoin on today. And uh, I joined quite late because I was busy fiat mining, the catastrophe at work. But um, Joel was just filling me in about the uh, interview that he just had with Jason. I joined at the very end, uh, which I'm gutted about because I was really looking forward to being part of this one. So Joel, tell me a little bit about what we can expect for this episode. It was a very cool episode to, uh, I, I think finally, I can say this, get mm. someone on who says, you know, I, I do realize we've got these like camps left and right. And we, yeah. we obviously always have extremes on both ends, but his vision is really to make people question, hey, there are different opinions, different ways of doing things, different um, thought solutions. He's a teacher, so he had very much that um, educating aspect about these things. And um, I think he was just uh, questioning a lot of the good stuff you and I always question in our YouTube videos, for example, as well. Mm -hmm. um, shameless pluck in an intro, that was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it was very cool to see, um, I would say, someone on the outer skirts of the bitcoin social layer and i'm mm -hmm. taking this word by jason because he said it in the episode oh, nice. and sort of get that outsider's perspective a bit as um yeah how even in the bitcoin community we sometimes fight a lot of silly arguments which we shouldn't actually fight and we should actually do should do a better job than what we currently do i was really excited about getting him on because this is what we're trying to do here we're trying to get everybody in in the bitcoin space um you know the opportunity to provide their Bitcoin story, get the signal out there because Bitcoin's for everyone. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading his book. It's in the post, I'm sure. Uh, it might take a little bit longer because over here in the UK, it's coming from afar. But um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to watching this one. And um, yeah, enjoy guys. And uh, let's go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole with Jason Meyer. Jason, it's great having you on the show today. And uh, we managed to get it done initially. We had some booking issues. Uh, how has your day been so far? Great. Yeah, I think uh, most of my day has been spent either packing for Bitcoin Miami, uh, which I'm nice. leaving tomorrow, or uh, teaching my classes. So uh, my day job is still in full effect. So coming straight off of teaching pre-calculus to, to talk with you. I'm excited about it. Thanks for having me. Nice. Do you, do you feel like your day job has a big influence in your Bitcoin journey or is that just by pure accident? Um, it's, it's a good question. I teach, uh, I teach high school math. So I teach the whole range of, of subjects in the high school math curriculum in the U.S., um, and my department also has a computer science component. So, um, you know, I share an office with our computer science teacher. And over the last, I'd say, maybe five to eight years, I've spent a lot of time sort of being a self-taught coder and, you know, like learning some basics about computer science by talking with him and trying my own projects. Um, and so I think that having that mathematical background uh, and sort of being exposed to computer science ideas and, um, mm -hmm. and sort of solving my own problems is the, the venue for which it led me into to Bitcoin. So I think that the Bitcoin experience I had was to just learn as much as I could about it. And I don't think that would have been possible for me to get such a strong conviction so quickly if I hadn't had that math background and that computer science mm. background and mm. understanding things like the Byzantine generals problem and what that actually means and like 
how that's such a like monumental challenge and an achievement to solve that um, from through that lens. So I, I do think that my day job has a huge impact about how I think about um, Bitcoin. Um, and I, I think just being a teacher also impacts mm. that too, right? Like my, um, you know, after I fell in love with Bitcoin and got this conviction and said, all right, now I want to tell people about it. That came from a place of wanting to teach, right? Wanting to nice. educate people and, and getting that thrill of explaining something new and complicated to somebody who didn't realize that they had to know about it. Um, so, yeah, I think all of that is wrapped in, right? It's all part of the picture and uh, it sort of makes me who I am, but also it makes me the Bitcoiner that I am. Sure. And what was that? What was that initial first step? So, what was your rabbit hole story? If I with yeah, the title, yeah. you know, we kind of have to ask of this course. question. Right <laughs> so um, it's it's funny, right? So I have uh, like most people, I have a false start, um, and then mm -hmm. I, I have the actual one that's stuck. The false start one is is, is kind of funny because I got um, it, it just came across my inbox. Like I had heard about Bitcoin as a thing, I didn't know anything about it, um, and I knew that like like mining Bitcoin would get you some. Uh, and I heard about slush pool and mm. I said, oh, well, like, according to what I'm reading, if I log, if I make an account with this thing called slush pool, which is now called brains, but at the time it was slush pool, I just have my, my laptop computer running in the background and like, I'll mine Bitcoin, I'll get some, <laughs> and who knows if it's ever worth anything, but that'd be kind of cool. Um, and at Those the time, the you could, <laughs> yeah, you could mine it with your laptop, right? You didn't need any special equipment. Um, and so I had no idea what I was doing and the website was blocked at where I, where I worked. Like it wouldn't okay. let me log on because they just didn't, obviously they, they were conscious of that. So, so I knew I had to get online, uh, and get to the slush pool website. So I had to go to, um, the next town overhead at McDonald's that had free Wi-Fi. <laughs> so I sat in a McDonald's, created a slush pool account, um, created a wallet, which I didn't know what that was. Mm. Um, and, uh, and got it all set up. I was really proud of myself and I said, Oh, you know, every once in a while, maybe I'll just drive over and sit at McDonald's and mine Bitcoin. And then uh, immediately <laughs> forgot about the whole thing. Right. So years later I logged back in, I actually like found the login and it's just like the balance of zero, 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 zero. <laughs> it's like nothing. I didn't not manage to mine a, uh, mine a single Satoshi. So that was, I, I just knew that like mining got more difficult and that it was a thing I could do with my laptop. So that was, mm. that was many years ago, as you could tell by the, <laughs> the technology references. Um, when I got into it more recently, it was a friend of mine who said, Hey, would you like to, I think that you should be buying Bitcoin. And so this is the, the smartest guy that I know. Uh, a dear friend of mine said, Hey, this is something I've been looking into and you, and you should look into it too. So mm. this guy is the smartest person I know. He's also the weirdest person I know, which probably doesn't <laughs> surprise anybody that like the person that gets you into Bitcoin is maybe the smartest and weirdest person. There's like a you. common Venn diagram, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, I mean, this guy, you know, is, is he's, he's a, a beautiful friend of mine and, and we've known each other for many years and we're very close. And he said, Hey, you should look into it. So, hmm. I think at the time I didn't really look into it. I just, oh, well, it's still a thing. And oh my goodness, it's like worth tens of thousands of dollars. And I, mm. I can't believe this actually is still happening. So I just bought $20 worth of Bitcoin on, I think it was PayPal. It was my first purchase ever. And the minute I clicked buy, uh, I got this rush of anxiety and saying, oh no, uh, I just bought something that I don't understand. And God forbid I should lose the $20 uh, that I just invested in this thing and and not understand it because 
I'll have to talk to my wife and she'll, why'd you buy it? You're such an idiot. You should, you know. So I immediately went in and, and started just learning as much as I could. So that $20 purchase motivated me to like um, dive into the rabbit hole, just keep learning. Um, and I have a distinct memory. Um, on the other side of this wall here is our uh, kid's bathroom. And my son was taking his bath and it was my turn to, to watch him. He was little. And instead of watching him, you know, bathe, he's he old enough to like not drown. But like I, mm -hmm. I was sitting there on my phone watching videos about how like blockchains work and like <laughs> what is SHA-256 and all of this stuff. Right? It's sort of like the deep dive into the math and the computer science of it while, you know, my son's just splashing around, not, you know, totally oblivious. And, you know, none of us knew at the time that was like just the tip of the iceberg in my life would be, you know, completely changed and uh, I'd be falling deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. I just wanted to know how the math of it worked and how the computer science worked. And, um, and you know, I, I think I very, like I said before, I quickly got a conviction. I, I understood hmm. when I looked at it in that moment, exactly how, um, how important it was, how unstoppable it was, how transforming it could be if people understood it. And, and that was the beginning of the journey that led us really to this conversation, right? Like that was, that was the one that stuck. So, Wow. So with your mathematical background and the understanding from that side, I'm curious because we always have kind of these Bitcoin narratives, you know, we, we, we tend to say, oh, there will never be more than 21 million. Yeah. Yes, but there is a possibility, right? If enough of us agree on stuff, that it, that could change. And if you, as a mathematician, hear stuff like um, Bitcoin is backed by math, for example, or it's just pure math, it can't be manip manipulated. What goes through your mind if you hear these things? It's a good question. I think, um, I mean, they're all metaphors, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that metaphors have a, a very important use in educating people um, and sort of making it familiar. So, the the idea that Bitcoin is backed by math um, is is really a, kind of a great hook for somebody who doesn't mm -hmm. know a lot, who's just starting their journey, who just wants to learn a little bit, or you know, or who has this outdated understanding of what money is and what it means to back something, right? Like all of these things are um, are pretty intricate and variable. But I think um, it just in, in the most pure sense. Bitcoin isn't backed by math. Uh, you know, Bitcoin doesn't need to be backed by anything. Like it is the bearer instrument. It's the it's the one that does the backing. Um, and you know, it, there is what what is important is if you can understand the mathematics to know that it's um, the mathematics behind Bitcoin that underlies and supports it is valid and um, and and solid in a way that can't be broken, right? There, there can't mm -hmm. be any shortcuts that are found uh, that solves maybe the hashing problem sooner or easier, anything like that. Like you just need to have that conviction and understand like, understand enough of the mathematics to know that like what people are saying about the algorithm and about the protocol, those things are true. Um, but I think like Bitcoin is backed, you know, by math or Bitcoin is digital energy. All of these things are just metaphors, right? Which we use in explaining complicated and scary and new things. And there's no problem with that really, as long as everybody in the room understands that you're using a metaphor to explain a complicated thing. And the reality is actually um, different and, and more complicated. So um, I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't, I'm not one of those people that gets all bent out of shape because somebody uses the, the wrong vocabulary word when they're talking colloquially about mathematics or about computer science even. Um, so, you know, I try not to 
to to dwell on that, but I think that they're useful metaphors. I'll, maybe that's mm. the shortest answer. Yeah, I'm always a bit scared. Um, I was recently thinking about getting the um, you know the formula of Satoshi's yeah. white paper tattooed yeah. somewhere, and then I realized. If I get the wrong formula online, that could be like a costly <laughs> lesson. So ever since then, I'll go like, well, if I actually do these statements, is it factually correct and stuff? But that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I don't, I mean, I want to encourage anybody necessarily to get the formula tattooed. But if you do, no. just plug it in, plug it into the online and make sure that the number you yeah. get is, <laughs> is the right number. Yeah, I well. mean, worst case, you get like the BSV formula or something tattooed onto your body. <laughs> yeah. We definitely don't want that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Just an expanding tattoo all over your body at the That's end of right, the day. Yeah, we'll <laughs> the whole thing eventually. <laughs> I like it. But you're very recently, also, and I'm really fascinated that you, you're, um, it almost sounds a bit cheesy, but a lot of, you know, the Bitcoin um personalities out there they're very much involved in the community they either have a mm -hmm. podcast a show whatever spend a lot of time online but you really got your foot in one world with with teaching and from the likes of you setting um the things earlier before we hit record that's your day thing that's where you i guess also get some time off from bitcoin i imagine mm -hmm. and you very recently also wrote a book or you finished a book and published it um mm -hmm. to sort of highlight the progressive case for bitcoin what was the motivation for you behind the book? Yeah, it's a great question. As you said, like I um, like Bitcoin isn't my my job, right? Like my job mm -hmm. is to teach math, um, and you know I have a family also. Like I have two young kids and and a wife, and um, so it's like uh, work and family, and then this Bitcoin thing sort of like sort of filled in the remaining space. Um, the the motivation behind the book was was really quite simple. I like I said, I dove into it from a mathematical point of view and said, "All right, can I understand the technology? Because I want to understand the technology before I invest any more money into it. Or at least if I lose the twenty dollars, I can have a conversation with my wife and say, "Listen, I looked mm -hmm. into it. Obviously, it was a bad mistake, but I at least I understood it." Once you get that conviction, though, you want to keep learning more. And what I found was that the what I was learning. Um, beyond that, right, beyond the mathematical or computer science, like the protocol level, was um, a lot of people who are just essentially, like you say, sort of living in podcasts and doing interviews that are living in the mm -hmm. social layer of Bitcoin and and sort of projecting onto the technology what they think it means and what their um, motivations are and what their hopes and dreams are. And some of those people didn't align with how I viewed the world. Um, you know, I'm, I consider myself a progressive liberal, um, you know, out of the United States. So that means you know, something different than probably in other countries. But mm -hmm. um, what I was hearing was things that didn't jive well with sort of my outlook on the world. And probably maybe even worse was just sort of like some name calling and some assumptions mm -hmm. about people on the left side of the political spectrum that it didn't bother me as like a as a liberal person to be called mm -hmm. names. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I'm not some delicate snowflake. But I, what I did realize is that people who want to learn about Bitcoin and don't have a conviction about it already aren't going to they're not going to sit through that. Right. They're going to they're going to just be turned off about it. They're going to turn, you know, look at something else or they're going to tune out. And as an educator, I thought, well, that's no way to teach somebody something mm -hmm. new and scary and complicated is to make them feel like unwelcome and unsafe or 
like uncared for. Um, so I got the idea to write the book essentially because I wanted a resource to be able to hand to my friends and neighbors and loved ones, family um, that I knew had a, like they were also left of center. They were also considered themselves progressive people and uh, just hand them a resource that wasn't going to offend them. Right. It wasn't going to call them an idiot for caring about the environment or, mm -hmm. you know, make fun of them because they didn't eat, you know, steaks for three meals a day, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and I said, well, at that, it, I don't think that resource exists yet. And I think it should. So I sat down to write the book and um, that's, that was the motivation. That was the story behind starting it. How long did it take you to finish the book from the initial idea to finishing literally the last sentences? Yeah, um, I I started the I created the Google Doc in September of 2021 is the day oh, okay. I had the idea. So I, I went right home. I got, you know, like whenever you have like a good idea, like, oh, this is how exciting. I went home and I made the Google Doc. Um, but at the time, I wasn't just a teacher. I was also the head of the math department at, at my mm -hmm. school. So I had sort of my fiat mining day job was was pretty big, right? Like I was in charge of the whole department, which is like 18 teachers and 600 students at our, at our school. So I didn't really have much time to like write. Um, I did do a lot of um, reading. Uh, mm -hmm. I did do a lot of listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, just trying to learn as much as I could. I already had that conviction. And I knew, I think I knew a lot, but I certainly spent the next several months learning as much as I could. And then the following June, which is June 2022, I sat down and started writing in earnest. I had maybe a couple mm -hmm. of half chapters before then, but that was when I started writing in earnest and I submitted my draft manuscript in December. So it was really about seven months of dedicated writing, um, waking up early every day. Like I said, you know, I have a job and a family. So my wife mm -hmm. was very clear, like, you know, like you need to get this done in a time that doesn't interfere with like the kids or with your job. So I was waking up about 5am every morning to write. And so from June through December uh, was when that happened. And I obviously in the meantime, had lots of ideas and sort mm -hmm. of had looked into lots of different things, but getting it all onto paper, uh, it took a good seven months of solid writing, which is, I think, pretty fast in the big scheme of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that was a timeline. Yeah, I, I guess unless you write like 200 words a minute, um, seven months is actually quite fast if you think about start to finish and then um, yeah. submitting everything. And it, it, it just came out literally a couple of weeks ago. We'll have yeah. the link to the website landing page and everything in the show notes. Um, Without trying to like um, differentiate between the fields, because often if I ask this, someone says, well, if you look at it from this or that perspective, what is the progressive case for Bitcoin in a couple of sentences for you? Or what is the message behind the book once, um, yeah, ideally progressives and normies read it? Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, the target audience really is like uh, people who are consider themselves a progressive but aren't into Bitcoin yet. That's the target audience. Um the subs like the secondary target audience is people who are into Bitcoin already and want their friends to get into Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. so, like that. You you might not be buying the book for yourself, and I think that's been played <laughs> out. Um, you you might be buying the book for as a gift for somebody. The I think the case is is a true understanding of um, that progressive and liberal people look at the systems that we have now, the legacy financial system, the banking system, mm -hmm. how um, the government interacts with corporations, how the government interacts with banks, and they, they see a lot of problems. And I think that 
Um, by studying Bitcoin, you're forced to not only study Bitcoin, but also the legacy financial system. And what that does is allows you to look at those problems that you see as a liberal person. Hey, the world isn't working right. It's not fair. It's unjust. People are, are struggling in ways that they shouldn't have to be struggling. Uh, it gives you a chance to look at those problems through a different lens. So um, by looking at it through the, a Bitcoin lens, you see the problems in a different way, but you also see different solutions. Um, so I think that what I try to do in the book is, is lay out really a 50-50, like, let me explain to you what you don't understand about the legacy financial system and how like pieces of that work. And then also let's think a little bit about how Bitcoin works and how does Bitcoin fix some of the problems that we see, right? It's problems like inequality, um, you know, the environment is is obviously a big one, um, sort of being more fair with the distribution of money and the creation of money. And why does that matter when most most people uh, generally, but specifically most liberal people probably don't think about how is money created and why as part of the mm-hmm. problem, right? They don't, they just think, all right, what's happening? Why are all of their, like, why do we have multi, multi-billionaires and people starving at the same time? Like, you know, they're not going back to like maybe deep enough to the root causes. So the book is an attempt to maybe explain some of those things that um, a typical sort of this is part of the platform of a liberal progressive person who wants to make the world a better place, knows that there are problems, but has never looked at those problems through this lens and has never considered a solution like a a fair, transparent monetary system that everybody has equal footing with Mm -hmm. as part of the solution yet. And hopefully by reading the book that they, they can see that or at least start pondering something that they haven't before. To me, Bitcoin is something very unique where um, there's a great show by HBO called The Newsroom. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, shit, I forgot. I forgot the actor's name now. Um, uh, uh, The second half of Dumb and Dumber. um, Oh, not Daniel Simmons. Um, Bridges. Uh, um, Hang on. I'll I'll cut this out. This this is is not too good. Jeff Daniels, yes, thank you very much. Right. <laughs> I knew Daniels was in there somewhere, didn't you, Jeff? Yeah, we got um, it. <laughs> he, he, he had a great quote in one of the, the episodes where he went, you know, it's a big day if you're able to offend like the, the, the hardcore right, the hardcore yeah. left, and some, somehow everyone in the middle. Um, yes. And sometimes to me, Bitcoin feels the same because when I explain it, and I've got a very, you know, academia, liberal friend circle um i also have some libertarians and stuff through bitcoin now but most of them are pretty much what i would call european progressive again there's a small difference there right yeah yeah and the immediate reaction is always like it's bad for the planet you know it's 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 even Mm -hmm. a worse um differentiator between you know the rich and the poor and and all of these arguments and if i then say the same thing to possibly someone more on the right spectrum they go by and i'm like ah oh, you know um it's it's so unfair like you need you you need like the, the big billionaire sort of dictating and giving job <laughs> opportunities and all of these things and to yeah, me yeah. this is fascinating looking at this going probably along other things bitcoin is one of those things which i sometimes struggle to think if we will ever get there that everyone sort of agrees on a common ground but in yeah. fact, if you look at the Bitcoin community, um, we somehow manage, right, 
It's no right. secret that, <laughs> that they're both sides of the spectrum there. Um, what has yeah. your experience been now after finishing the book? And, and I guess you're also more in the progressive liberal circles mm -hmm. and your friend circles yeah. and such. Has that changed a lot? Were you able to, to convict a lot of people of, hey, you should actually take a look at this? Or has it more or less stayed the same? <clears throat> well, as you say, like I do, I think I do a good job of upsetting both sides um, a lot. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you go on Twitter or something like that, you'll see a lot of instances where if I'm, if I write something to a Bitcoin audience, that's more progressive than people like act like their hair is on fire. And if I, if I write something about Bitcoin to a progressive audience, the same thing happens. Right. So like, I guess like, that's how I know I'm doing the right thing is that mm -hmm. I'm upsetting both, <laughs> both groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that said, I think that in my everyday life, there's not, um, there's a lot of, you know, progressive people that I hang out with who are my friends and coworkers and colleagues and neighbors and all of that. And it's not as if most of them have like this irrational hatred of Bitcoin. They just don't mm -hmm. really know about it. And mm -hmm. they have, and that's not true in every case, but like that's, the, that's generally true. And they just haven't had a chance to, to really unpack it. It's obviously, it's a very complicated multi-pronged mm -hmm. problem and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of complicated things about it, especially if you're a beginner and you're afraid of it. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people that I come into contact with um, have been running on this assumption that Bitcoin will go away and I can ignore it and it will just be sort of this thing, right? Like this is exactly how people of a certain age treat TikTok, right? This is not for me. Mm -hmm. I don't need to know about it. Um, there's these young people who are dancing around and being silly, but like I don't need to know. Um, so I'm not going to spend the time it takes to like learn TikTok, right? This is exactly how they think about Bitcoin. Like I'm just, it's going to go away and I don't need to worry about it. And when I finally convince somebody, this is not going away, this is really important. You do need to learn about it. I, I find that they are actually quite interested. Um, that job to, to get them interested and to convince them and to educate them becomes harder if when they hear from liberal politicians about Bitcoin being yeah. bad and, and that kind of stuff. So the the rationale behind the book was was really twofold right what i mentioned earlier which is the resources out there aren't geared towards people who consider themselves liberal um they're in fact if if anything they're making fun of or talking down to those that audience the other rationale is the politicians who already exist somebody like elizabeth warren and, and other senators in the us who are liberal these people look up to those politicians and and all they hear from them is bad things about Bitcoin. Mm. My job becomes harder if Elizabeth Warren has gotten into somebody's ear before I've been able to. It's not impossible, but it's it's much more hard. So I think that uh, the hope is, yeah, I don't have any dreams or hopes that I'm going to change Elizabeth Warren's mind about Bitcoin, but I do have a hope that I can reach the people that vote for her. Um, yep. You know, I, I, have, I have every reason to believe in my heart that um, if enough people in Massachusetts read my book or read some other book, it doesn't have to be mine, um, and they get a conviction for Bitcoin, then, you know, the senator will have to change her you know, tune about Bitcoin or not get reelected. And I think that's mm. the motivator. So the, the real hope is that um, I can just reach the people who are doing the voting. Um, and have a more reasonable stance and a more nuanced approach to the benefit, the costs and the benefits of Bitcoin, uh, as we would for any other topic, and not have it fall into this like hyper partisan trap, 
which I think is more prevalent in the U.S., mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you don't need to know anything else. But if, if this person likes you know, topic A, then I don't like topic A. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and my hope is to maybe uh, stop that from happening with Bitcoin if it hasn't already or mm-hmm. maybe reverse it if we need to. I think that's my hope, because if otherwise it becomes an intractable, intractable problem where you're just not going to convince anybody that they're they're wrong about it because the bad people like it. And that's not just Bitcoin. That could be anything. And I don't want it to be Bitcoin. Yeah, I I guess because when I look back at my Bitcoin journey, some of my first touch points were with more left-leaning people over here in Europe, you know, the the whole Occupy movement. And you you sort of found um, I was a big um, or still am (laughs) a big portion of the like the WikiLeaks movement. I was always interested in these aspects of things. And um, it's weird to see that a lot of that movement somehow sometimes lost a bit of the footing with Bitcoin. And I personally draw it down to uh, a lot of the, the Bitcoin narratives we see pushed, you know, a lot of stuff. Nowadays, we read stuff about wars, um, also in the Bitcoin space. You also had the block size war. So that that sort of things which the left or left-leaning people, because um, I don't want to box people in, usually sure. are against i think were very prominent in the in the last let's say six to eight years where bitcoin really saw a big growth spurt. um having said that though it it really is not that hard once they actually get over that hump that maybe they shouldn't listen to like the multi-million politician who's teaching us about you know living on 50 grand a year maybe (laughs) and sort of make up your own mind and research all of these things right right and and i think that the you know the the idea behind like the Occupy movement was I mean, completely was sort of from the left side of the political spectrum as like sort of a populist movement mm-hmm. that had a, a clear message. And, you know, the way I think about it is like sort of Bitcoin is the Occupy movement that has an effect, right? It has mm-hmm. an actual ability to cause change that we want to see happen. It has also been co-opted or the narrative has been co-opted by people who think that Bitcoin will you know, destroy the government or make the, it impossible for the government to exist. And and I think those voices are very loud right now. And I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to necessarily argue that idea, but I do think that there should be other voices too, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. there is a perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. approach to Bitcoin that says, hey, Bitcoin can be a throttle on the relationship between a government and a central bank and banks in general. Like Bitcoin mm-hmm. can serve that purpose. It doesn't need to be like, it's like, Bitcoin doesn't need to have this vision and say, well, it will be successful when there's no longer governments, right? Like that's not my goal. And and I think that whether I'm right or wrong, we should at least have the conversation with thoughtful people on both sides and say, all right, well, what are the different use cases, right? There's a lot of people on the left who say, hey, I don't like the relationship between big banks and my government. Mm. That's not a like that's a liberal perspective, you know, progressive perspective. Bitcoin helps with that. And if they're turned off because of this other rhetoric, that's what I would hate to see. So that's why hopefully the book turns people on to those kinds of ideas that this already aligns with a lot of what you agree with. And there's no reason to be turned turned off by it because, um, you know, the politician you don't like supports it. Definitely. And I think if, if Bitcoin teaches you one thing, whether you read the white paper, whether you spend a lot of time in the, in, uh, the social layers, like you said, I kind of like that term. Um, it's never intended as 
it is the uh, the alternative to the legacy financial system or the alternative to what remittances or whatever it is a alternative you're free to use it you're free to do with it whatever you want and right. and i think especially um i wouldn't even say since um since covid it happened way earlier um there has been this huge divide all over the world it's not just in the us you guys are just very good in putting this on display if you think about <laughs> cnn versus fox news right that's sort of the best example um yeah. it really is never about you have to choose between anything and this is something i wish and this is something we aim for with the podcast to showcase that there are in fact a lot of you know bitcoiners out there who think alike um yeah. and who have these visions as well that w w we serve different niches and different groups of people and um the beauty is all of them could work on it it's not it's not no one is being cast out unless they use a third party of course <laughs> well, and I think that what what's really important in, in in terms of my vision of it is to say there there's lots of ways through this, and Bitcoin itself as like a technology that needs adoption in order to like fulfill a vision should have a, a heterogeneous like anti fragile coalition of support. Like it will be very it will be much easier for people in charge of governments and banks who are threatened by Bitcoin when they finally realize what it is, it'll be easier for them to squash it if it's only one side of the political spectrum who's supporting it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just like, it, it seems self-evident. So the, the more intertwined we can make the support network and sort of the coalition of people who support Bitcoin and the more multifaceted, the better it is for resiliency of, from attacks. Um, but it is also, it makes Bitcoin better because there's now mm -hmm. a variety of voices talking about, hey, here is a problem. How do we solve it? Or mm -hmm. this is a use case for Bitcoin. Does it make sense? How can we use it? So I think that it just all the way around, like having more voices and having a productive um, you know, competition of ideas within the community, all of that makes Bitcoin better and stronger. And I think that there are plenty of people who who see what I'm doing and saying, well, this is antithetical to progressives because they have in their mind what that means. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you're, you're not doing the right thing. You're harmful to Bitcoin. Like how... If you think I'm harmful to Bitcoin, then you don't understand Bitcoin well enough, right? Like, I mean, I can't, no way I can hurt it by teaching people about it. Yep. So yep. I think that, um, you know, there's there's room there for everybody. And there's certainly room for a debate and dialogue about all different kinds of issues. And um, I think it's just, it's good for all of us if we get more people on board. And unfortunately, not everybody agrees with that, but I'm working mm -hmm. hard to make it happen. I, I think it just boils down to with the same Thing with other organizations i mean frankly speaking greenpeace usa for example at one yeah. point when i was a kid you know i saw all of the tv ads you, you know you yeah. you had yeah. friends who met to go to like greenpeace protests and it was a very bottom-up movement and, and nowadays it just became this evil corporation thingy um, right. and i think that's very much important for a lot of us bitcoiners to understand the minute something turns into like um evil activism i should always say like it turns into a corporation and it's profit driven hardcore profit driven um i think that's the moment where sort of the the whole narrative flips and then you, you you're not doing it for the cause but you're doing it because it, it's fashionable you probably peer pressure i guess a lot of people are peer pressured in the bitcoin space yeah. as well um sure. and all of those things mm -hmm. 
So the minute you got Bitcoin and you now did the book and and, and I guess you're also um, uh, reaching out, you'll be in um, Bitcoin Miami. Um, mm. Is there any plan for you on the horizon to also get politically involved? Because if you say stuff like um, case for, a progressive case for Bitcoiners, that's already a political um, sure. statement these days, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Is this something you see in the future where if if really these groups coexist in the Bitcoin space and they're always fighting against each other, that you'll mm-hmm. stick there or will you still stick to the, hey, let's hear both sides of the discussion out and, and really try and find a common ground? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's plenty of, of, of work to be done just finding and explaining to people in the Bitcoin space that there's common ground. I think there's plenty of, of work to be done for me and people like me to go around and just educate um, mm-hmm. pre-coiners about Bitcoin, right? And I think that um, I've devoted my entire adult life to being an educator and teaching people mm-hmm. complicated things that they don't necessarily want to learn. Um, that's what it's like being a high school mm-hmm. math teacher. So um, I, I think that the vision that I have for myself in the future is to educate people one way or the other, right? So if that's mm-hmm. about Bitcoin and that works out, I would be very happy to continue doing that. Um, if I go back to my day job and just teach math, like I'm, that was my childhood dream to begin with. So mm-hmm. anything else is gravy. Um, I don't see myself throwing my hat into the political arena in terms of being mm-hmm. an elected official, but I certainly do see an opportunity as a like a potential opportunity to advise, educate, um, mm-hmm. sort of like promote Bitcoin to the political, uh, you know, powerful political people that need to know about it. Um, and I, you know, I don't necessarily have any specific plans for that, but I would not, um, I would not turn down an opportunity to try to help orange pill um, politicians or people who are close to politicians, because I do think it is the most important thing that we can be working on right now. And that's how I want to spend my time. So um, I'm not running for elected office anytime soon. I promise (laughs) you that. Um, And I don't think that I'd win. But I do think that there's an opportunity for me to have conversations and to educate people who are running for political office, who are making some of these decisions that, you know, we're, we're thinking about and do it in a way that's both like educated and fair and reasonable uh, about Bitcoin and how the government or how politicians should be reacting or treating Bitcoin. I think there's a lot of room there for me to to be involved if it makes sense. And as long as I'm helpful, then then I'll do what I can. Do you do you see a lot of the stuff you also picked up in Bitcoin that you can potentially bring into your teaching during the day job? Um, certain math examples you can bring in with Bitcoin. Yeah, there's no shortage of, of specific math examples that mm-hmm. I can sort of make references to. And and that's nice because the mathematics involved in like understanding Bitcoin really ranges like the full extent of my high school teaching experience, right? Like from algebra through like mm-hmm. calculus and statistics, like all of those things have facets that I can pull in um, and and beyond. Like there's obviously higher level mathematics too, right? I'm not necessarily doing elliptic curve cryptography mm-hmm. with my, you know, sophomores in high school, but there's lots of opportunities to bring concepts in. What they are most fascinated by, because I think I started this year and they knew that I was writing a book, but they didn't, mm-hmm. I don't think they understood that it was like a real thing or <laughs> like maybe a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of people who want to read it or anything, right? So as they um, are just fascinated about Bitcoin to the point where if they can get me talking about Bitcoin, then maybe they're not going to have homework tonight because I didn't mm-hmm. teach them what I was supposed to. So they're very good at asking questions. But ever <laughs> since the book came out, I think they've taken it more seriously. Like, oh no, this is, 
a real thing. Like the person that is in front of us teaching us every day is, you know, really knows about this stuff and cares a lot about it. So why don't we ask him some like real questions? And they, they've been very thoughtful and, um, and curious about Bitcoin and asking really good questions since then. Um, so I think, um, you know, my students even draw connections sometimes nice. even when I'm not intending it to, or I'll be very subtle about, uh, like the, how I word something and then they'll make mm-hmm. the connection mm-hmm. themselves things about like decentralization or, mm-hmm. you know, consensus and things like this. Um, so, you know, I think that it's, it's interesting. Certainly it has influenced my teaching a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I don't teach a Bitcoin specific class, despite people mm-hmm. um, repeatedly asking me to. So that might be something that I do in the future uh, for my high school is to teach a Bitcoin specific class, which, would, as we all know, would be interdisciplinary, involve a lot of different kinds of things and be nice. super interesting. Uh, but that might be something in the future, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a lot of like blockchain DeFi um, things in the um at like MIT and stuff, who knows, you might be up for a Bitcoin course as well. (laughs) We're just putting it out there. (laughs) Right. But I think that the other day I was teaching and um, I was teaching my students a new, uh, like a a notation for some concept, math concept that was new to them. Um, And somebody said, well, wouldn't it make better sense to use this other notation and then said, so, well, who would we talk to to change? So mathematicians didn't use this notation. They used this notation that Jim came up with. And I answered that as honestly as I could, which said, well, there's nobody in charge of math. You would have to convince people that this was a better notation. You would have to have a consensus of people who agreed to change it. And there have been instances and examples over the history of mathematics where like notations and symbols have changed. Um, and that has been a gradual process where people said, all right, we're going to introduce something new, but people had to agree to it. Um, and there's nobody in charge to say, hey, now, from now on, we're using this notation. And that's mm. what I said. And then there's a kid in the back, uh, that's like Bitcoin. So I think that they're, they're primed to think in that way, right? They're primed to think, mm. hey, um, you know, how does this relate? And of course, the first couple of months of them asking me questions, it, mm. you could imagine from a high school teenage point of view, they were only asking me questions because they thought that Bitcoin was a way for, to get them rich. And if I was an expert, mm-hmm. then I would tell them how to invest in it so they wouldn't have to work mm-hmm. or they would be, you know, they'd have a lot of money. And I just have to really disabuse them of this notion that Bitcoin is a get rich quick thing. It's actually technology that makes the world better. This is the reason you should be investing in it. And once we get to that level, then the conversation gets much more interesting because it's not like they're not bringing up, you know, like altcoins. They're not bringing mm-hmm. up like, hey, it went down today. Are you worried? Like they're, they're past that. And then we can have actual real conversations about Bitcoin, the technology, Bitcoin making the world a better place. And those conversations obviously are much more interesting. So that's that's fascinating. And um, I don't know if you already spoke a little bit about the educational system at all, but I was always curious to ask you Jason about um the establishment of education and 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 have you come up against any obstacles um or is is there any part of your um the institution of of education in America and across the world I suppose in in many aspects particularly the west are there anything is there anything in 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 terms of um because I, the reason why I'm asking this question is because 
I hear and uh, lots of discussions have had at Bitcoin meetups and things like that about um, schools being essentially an institution for getting us ready for the rat race, getting mm. us, you know, in on time, do as you're told kind of thing. Yeah. Is that is that something that you've you've come across in conversations now that you're in Bitcoin? Um, it, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think first I'll say I haven't, um, my school in particular has been really supportive of my project and is totally fine with me talking about Bitcoin and had, you know, my boss asked me to come into her classroom to talk about it. So, you know, like, <laughs> oh, so I've, I've gotten a lot of support. My school actually gave me a sabbatical next year to go promote the book. So they're giving oh, me wow. a, a year off paid leave to just go and promote the book and sort of educate people. So like I've gotten a lot of That's personal brilliant. support, um, in, in that way. Um, and, and I'd say that, you know, I've been, I've been a teacher and I've been training to be a teacher for over half of my life. And I tell you that the people who, who I come across with and talk with on a, on a daily basis are really committed to children and to helping them think critically and to helping them grow as individuals. Um, and not, I don't necessarily get a lot of, well, we just have to sort of teach them. This is how you think. And then this is, you know, obviously there, there, there is part of that, right? Like we do want to teach them executive functioning skills. So they show up to places <laughs> on time and they do sure. what they have to do. But of course. Um, I, I do think that the, the people that I see in these institutions are certainly motivated to help people, help our students think critically, think for themselves, think in, in new ways um, to a, to an extent. Right. Um, and, and so I, I, I think that teaching math in particular is an interesting endeavor because, you know, people think, all right, well, it's, it's fact-based there's right answers and there's wrong answers. Um, and it's very objective and I'd, I'd say it's probably an inaccuracy. There's a lot of feelings involved with learning math. <laughs> there's a lot of people, you're right. Uh, there's a lot of, um, things that you can bring in from the everyday world that will make a connection with somebody. So um, I think that, you know, as a math teacher, I really care about my students and I want them mm -hmm. to, to critically, I want what they're learning to be applicable to their real life that they care about. Um, and I do my best to, to make that happen, right? I think one thing I remember is, you know, a lot of people you talk to as, as adults, um, will have a hard time repeating something that they learned in high school math to you, um, mm -hmm. like a fact mm -hmm. or something, but, but they will be able to right. tell you how high school math made them feel. Um, and so that's something that's always in the back of my mind when I'm working with my students. I want them to look back and say, I don't remember that exact theorem, but I do remember enjoying it or feeling like it, like I felt accomplished when I understood it and those kinds of things. So as a rant on, on teaching, uh, but not about Bitcoin. So sorry. <laughs> no worries. No, no. It's, it's something I've always been personally curious of. So thank you for sharing that yeah. uh, with me being a teacher in, edu in the educational system. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. But I'm also conscious that you've been rambling for a while with, with Joelle. And I just wanted to round up the episode now I've just joined to ask is, if, is, is there anything that we've not yet asked you that you wanted to mention? Um, or is there, is there anything you want to say before we finish today? Um, no, I mean, Joel did a great job of, of digging into my rabbit hole story <laughs> and really just sort of exploring the, I, I, th I think ultimately the reason behind me writing a book and about, um, you know, trying to reach people in a new way, um, 
did not stem from me being offended by the current state of Bitcoin social layer as, as a progressive person. What really mm-hmm. struck me was that I was not going to be able to teach people if they didn't feel welcomed and supported within the community. I was not going to be able to reach them and teach them a complicated topic or a technical issue unless they felt comfortable. So my Mm -hmm. impetus behind writing the book wasn't like from political shock, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're saying these things I don't agree with. It was an understanding Mm -hmm. that you cannot teach somebody something uh, that's difficult without them feeling comfortable. And so I needed a resource to be able to do that. Um, And that was the main motivation behind the book. And whatever support any of your listeners can give to the book, I mean, obviously it's been a wild ride since it's been released and published. Uh, my, <laughs> like my head is spinning every day. I, I mean, the Bitcoin community has really gotten behind it and I feel really supported and, and cared for. Um, the If I can mention the website for the book, if, you, if you're mm-hmm. looking for it is uh, bitcoinprogressive.com. There's uh, information about it and also links to buy it. Um, and there's also a geyser fund right now. So if people are looking to support that, that's an opportunity to, to donate uh, uh, Bitcoin to buy the book for politicians in the U.S. So I'm going to be traveling to Washington, D.C. in June um, with the Satoshi Action Fund. um, And we're going to personally hand copies of the book to progressive and liberal lawmakers uh, in Washington, D.C. So if that's something that you think is a good cause, um, then you can donate to the Geyser Fund. You can find it on my my Twitter um, and and I'll put it on the website, too. So um, those are those are the things that I'll I'll end with. But I, you know, obviously the whole community has been great. Um, I'm overwhelmed with the support that people have been giving me about the book. And I just hope that it helps orange pill people that you care about. If you have somebody in your life that you want them to know about Bitcoin and you've been having trouble, then hopefully the book helps you do that. I can't wait for my copy to arrive in the post. So um, I'm looking forward to, to reading it. So thank you, Jason. I, I'll potentially I'll potentially get um, a... Oh, am I allowed to say this? Because I've got the inside scoop. I'll potentially oh, get a signed copy... But I'm not sure if you do the signing, Jason, because, because I literally got it from someone who's a volunteer at Bitcoin Miami, and she told me, oh, like, hey, right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we'll post it after the conference, but like, I don't want to get her in trouble. No, no. So it's it's good to mention, and you can post this whenever. If if you're watching this before Bitcoin Miami, I'll be there. <laughs> I mean, this will be but I'll be signing copies of the book there. It's a good place to, it's the best place to buy it. If you can't make it to Miami in the next uh, couple of days, then you should be buying it from my website. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. Awesome. We'll end it on that. Sure. And people, I think the best place to reach out to you would be on Twitter, I guess. Absolutely. So my DMs are open. Always happy to engage with people as, as quickly as I can on Twitter. Um, and there's also a contact form on the website too. Mm. So whatever works for people, I'm, I'm always happy to respond and uh, love getting those interactions with people. Um, so yeah, very much uh, excited to hear from people. Perfect. Jason, thank you for joining us at Rabbit Hole Stories and um, looking forward to meeting you in person one day mm. soon. I'm not going to... Um, Miami this year, but um, no doubt in the future we'll we'll have a have a pint together. Absolutely, <laughs> very much looking forward to that. See you soon, Jason. Cheers. Take care.